0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast. It's people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? Do you have your winter
1: jumper on? No, oh, it's
0: sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Yeah. I do. I've, I have, you know, I was in Minnesota for a while. Oh, that's so right. I, it was
1: cold there, too. It was there, very right?
0: cold there. And I had, you know, a good preview of this weather. And I had all my coats and stuff out and ready to go. So here I am, ready and prepared for this Arctic Black Last. how are you enjoying the cold good thing miss Winford has her own coat she's in heaven <laughs> this is like the first time in a long time that i think she's in her natural habitat because she literally does have a very thick fur coat and she's made for this weather so she is doing just fine
1: yeah and it's gonna warm up right yeah. and so we're kind of bookended by nice warm weather and should be nice weekend too
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, You know, this past weekend was the best of times and the worst of times. And the LSU game was really intense, but that was an amazing win. And then, of all the teams. We need to bring Ryan in for this segment. No, you're shaking his head.
1: He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk
0: about it. But of course, we had to lose to the Falcons. I know, right?
1: Everybody's like, oh, you got to lay an egg, right? You know, know, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't really have to do that. That's I get nervous because
0: I know we give their their team and their fans a hard time. And so I'm like, is it karma? Yeah, I don't probably know. Probably a little but bit of that. Okay. Probably a little bit Well, of that. you know, hey, they got it out of their system and they can like keep their march going forward for the playoffs. Yes. So, the um, eternal optimist. Yes. I okay. <laughs> have to be, you know, so, um, well, I'm very excited today. We're actually... Um, getting back to the science we've talked a little bit about coastal education in the Mm -hmm. prior episode we talked about economy economy Mm -hmm. and jobs um and all of that is so dependent on science and knowledge so we're having um two of our favorite uh, former guests and favorite scientists back on the show. Um, First up is Dr. John Lopez, Director of Coastal Sustainability Program with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, John.
2: Uh, Thanks, John. Uh, Good morning, you guys. How y'all doing?
1: Too cold to be on the lake today, huh, John? Yeah, pretty
2: chilly out there. (laughs)
0: So, John, I want to ask, I mean, we're fast approaching the end of 2019, but I think, you know, we will all look back years from now on this year as a very unprecedented one in a number of ways. Of course, the historic Mississippi River flood, um, you know, two openings of the Bonnie Carey Spillway uh, in the same year. You know, I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, how are things going on the lake? How are things looking in the basin um, as we close out this year?
2: Well, um, as you said, this has been an extraordinary year in terms of the river flood. Uh, I saw an analysis the other day that the amount of water diverted into Lake Concharton through the spillway was more than five times the volume of Lake Concharton. But anyway, in spite of kind of the extraordinary circumstances, uh, you know, uh, since I closed the structure, solidities have been rebounding. Uh, The uh, algal booms uh, that were there uh, were kind of patchy, but they were there for a while. Uh, But uh, they're gone, Uh, the solidity is coming back up. And we're seeing some other indications, you know, that that the lake is uh, starting to, uh, you know, recover from that event.
1: So, John, we we kind of had record heat in October, right? D- does this cold weather help or hurt the situation, or is this just kind of normal?
2: Uh, the, the cold weather does affect things, uh, but it, it's it's short term, uh, and, and it depends on which species being know. Uh, You know, uh, crabs, for instance, uh, generally they don't like cold weather, so uh, crab fishing would slow down uh, with the water temperatures uh, uh, falling, uh, like we're starting to see now. Uh, I mean, there'll still be blue crab, but it does slow
0: down. Great. Well, we have a number of topics that we want to talk to you about today. Um, You know, you've been writing a lot of blogs about, um, you know, just new science that's come out as well as tools that, um, you know, everyone from fellow scientists to fishermen can use. Um, so let's dive right in. First, I want to talk a little bit about Mr. Go and the Miss- Mississippi River Gulf Outlet, as it's um, known. Um, you did a blog that basically highlighted the incredible impact that closing the Mr. Go um, has had on the Ponchatrain Basin. So kind of as a reminder for those who may not know, you know, we're approaching the 15th year anniversary of Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. um, But tell us a little bit about like what was the Mr. Go and why it was closed?
2: Yeah, uh, of course, uh, um, Mississippi River Gulf Outlet was a federal navigation, 8 draft navigation channel that was dug in, in basically St. Bernard Parish. Uh, it had tremendous environmental impact, uh, but just as importantly, it, it contributed to uh, the flooding and impacts from uh, hurricanes, particularly like Hurricane Katrina. So after uh, Katrina, there was finally enough uh, support to have the... Structure of uh, the channel deauthorized, first of all, uh, legally, but it allowed for two area structures to be built that kind of negated the hydrologic influence uh, of this uh, saltwater intrusion that like, occurred for decades, Extreme saltwater intrusion. So uh, that was now 10 years ago. So uh, we're now 10 years from when those uh, two barriers were put into the MRG. So now we're, we're starting to get a pretty good understanding of what that those closures or the placement of those barriers has done.
1: John, did you think it was gonna be that quick of a of a impact?
2: No, it was. Uh, I don't think anyone did uh, that. Uh, almost overnight, we had to see changes in the estuary. Uh, and let, let me interject before I forget that, uh, you know, the damage of, from the MRGO and wetland loss has still not been addressed. There, so there's still a huge wetland loss problem that was caused by the MRGO. But what the barriers did was essentially a hydrologic restoration, more or less restored it. somewhat how the water was flowing before the MRGO was built and therefore how the salinity moves around, uh, in the estuary. Uh, but it was almost immediate, uh, once those barriers were built, basically, the, the very first year in 2009, uh, we began to see changes in the surface water salinity, and then uh, shortly after changes in salinity in the soils, which is more important for the plants. <clears throat> no, no, no one anticipated that that there would be that immediate response or the magnitude of the response that we've seen over 10 years. It's been really an amazing thing to see and document scientifically.
1: I think that's a pretty important distinction, and I'm glad that you just made it, that, that the closure is more of the hydraulic restoration and not a restoration of the impacts that occurred from the channel, right? I think that that was a, a very important distinction to be made that we're not done there yet, if that's fair.
2: Exactly, I mean, we don't want to forget that. There's still you know, um, 20, 30,000 acres of wetlands that are, were lost due to the MRGO, and and that has had some slight restoration, but for the most part, that that wetland loss has not been addressed.
0: And um, we may, you know, have uh, knowledge of kind of Mr. Go, where it is in terms of, you know, it's near St. Bernard Parish and even going into kind of Lower Ninth Ward. And, and I mean, obviously, it's, it's larger than that. But can you set a, a picture, give us a picture of like the scale or the scope of how the closure, like where the closure is reaching? So like the influence area is certainly beyond that immediate area where the channel is, correct? Uh,
2: correct. I mean, it's, it's actually influencing uh, kind of uh uh, above or kind of upgrading and below uh, the closures. Uh- but uh, you know, the Pontchartrain Train Basin, as we describe it, is everything east of the Mississippi River, you know, about six thousand square miles of uh, of marsh and bays and sounds. Uh, more than half of that we now realize was was significantly impacted by uh NMR. And the only reason we, we know that now is because of the closures we're seeing what is shifting back due to that closure. The Pre- previous estimates had suggested, uh, or document maybe, I should say, uh, that the impact of the MRGO was, was about 640,000 acres. Uh, now, in hindsight, we can see, visiting the, the effect of the closures, it's basically double that. It's basically 1.2 million acres of our estuary here um, are seeing changes due to the MRGO closure and therefore we're previously impacted
0: negatively by the impact Wow, that is a huge yeah, area that's and a huge to impact. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about some of the dynamics within that area when we come back, but we're about to head into a break. We're with Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. We're about to head into a break. We're with Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break.
3: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org louisiana
0: At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems. Focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore a
1: Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org.
0: And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. And I have the coastal stat of the week. The Lake Pontchartrain Basin is a 10,000 square mile watershed encompassing 16 Louisiana parishes. The land use of the region is both rural and urban and is the most densely populated region in Louisiana, including Metro New Orleans. And the state capital, Baton Rouge. It is one of the largest estuarine systems in the Gulf of Mexico, containing over 22 essential habitats. The basin's topography ranges from rolling wetlands, I like that, rolling (laughs) wetlands, in the north to coastal marshes to the south, with the 630 square mile Lake Pontchartrain as its centerpiece. But Jacques, it's not a lake.
0: It's an estuary. It's an estuary. I know. I have learned that from a I'm going to get Christy and John and them all mugs that
1: say that, right? It's yeah. not a lake. It's an estuary. Or oh, that little cat meme.
0: Oh, that <laughs> is it's such a, a lake. good idea. It's okay. An we'll need to follow up with your social media person, John, and give them that idea because I think it'll, it'll take off. So- <laughs> John, I do want to ask real quick cause we, it's time for our fun question. You know, I don't know about you, but I am, you know, thinking a lot about Thanksgiving <laughs> and I think salivating over you, Thanksgiving. Let me guess. moisture
1: dressing. Is that what well, you get? <laughs> I was going
0: to I mean, it's up to John. I was going to ask John for your fun question. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side?
2: Oh man. There's so many. Um, probably, uh, dirty
1: rice. And, and by the way, uh, uh oh, Good answer, John. Good answer.
2: Not everybody does this, but but uh, some people put it. actually oysters in dirty rice, which is
0: uh, one of those neighboring breeds. Mm. I have never tried that, Extra but 30. I, you know, I'm always open to trying, you know... New dishes. So
1: sometimes we don't answer these questions, but I'm gonna go ahead and answer this one. Um I could like only eat sides. I'm like not a turkey person, and I could only eat sides.
0: I feel like I use turkey more as the palate cleanser for the sides. <laughs> so you know, I'm like trying the sides. I'm like, oh, let me get a little bite of turkey. A little it's sorbet, like, exactly. a little mint. Too. <laughs> yeah, I am. I do love a good oyster dressing. <laughs> My grandma made the best one growing <laughs> up, and also the um, which I actually made I think for Christmas last year, but the oyster. Patties, oh, yeah, yeah. And I went yeah. to, to buy
1: the a special little little bread
0: place on Harrison uh-huh. that sells McKenzie's. Uh-huh. It's weird. It's, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's the McKenzie's, but they sell McKenzie yeah, yeah. stuff. Got the little, you know, shells and made the, it. I like out John's well.
1: idea of the salty, dirty dressing
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a whole range of, of things Please we can do. We sound like the
1: food and wine show more. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, getting back to the science. Um, so, John, we were talking about the impact, the massive impact that the Mr. Go closure has had on the population. Pontchartrain Basin and how large of an area um, that has influenced. Um, In your blog, which is available on MississippiRiverDelta.org, you kind of frame it in terms of oysters and cypress trees and saying that the Pontchartrain Basin can now support oysters and cypress trees. Why is that important? And talk a little bit about that kind of diversity of habitat, of landscape, of salinities, and why it's important to maintain that diversity.
2: Um... Well, most folks are very familiar with a land loss crisis. So one, one of the metrics of that is wetlands that are converted to open water, and that is very important. But the underlying uh, uh, what, uh, systemic part of that is, is the hydrology. The hydrology is what, make, what makes wetlands work. So when the hydrology gets messed up, the wetlands uh, get messed up, they tend to, tend to lose them, uh, habitats change, sometimes negatively. Uh, and so basically what I'm alluding to is uh, what's called saltwater intrusion. And uh so basically the MRGR created this massive saltwater intrusion where high salinity water was moving much further inland than what it had historically and where you would want it. And uh, that basically disrupted the gradient that you normally have from fresh all the way to Seymour in the gulf of mexico or basically the gulf of mexico ocean and you know, further inland uh, now they've been two species that everyone's familiar with uh very common uh all cypress trees and of course oysters uh those are very uh what uh you know, symbolic of this process because uh Cypress trees belong in the freshest part, essentially pure fresh water. Oysters belong not in seawater, but near that kind of salinity range. It's still mixed, but uh, but on the higher salinity side. of things. When the MRG was open, uh, there's a location I've got pictures. Uh, I believe we included in the we uh, where there were when the MRG was open oysters. Trying to grow on cypress knees, so that basically is uh, uh, emblematic or symbolic of of the collapse of the estuary. Where basically, you know, one organism that should be, you know, almost in the Gulf of Mexico has moved so far inland it's growing on cypress knees that should be a freshwater swamp. So that that's kind of uh, the the problem. Uh, The good news is that since the closures in 2009. The two barriers that were built uh as i was alluding to we've seen the solaries shift and they're shifting back toward uh, what they were previously uh they're not quite where they were previously but they're close, but close enough so that we can now uh see that these uh two different um things trees and and, and oysters have responded very positively and what i mean by that is if you go around western lake country like marpa that area those swamps were dying from salinity the salinity now is is low enough for those trees to to survive and in fact we're planting thousands of trees on that land bridge because of that that change so we can now restore swamps that we couldn't when the mrj was open on the other end of the system we have oysters and we've assessed the, the oyster or the salinity for oysters and we now know that because of the closure of the MRGO, the oyster beds have been reestablished precisely where they were before the MRGO was built. So there are now historic oyster reefs that are being that are recovering and oyster fishermen have been utilizing for the last uh, several years since the MRGO closure. Uh, so this is tremendously good news, that basically, uh, the estuary, instead of having oysters growing on Cypress knees, we have, Cypress tree growing where they belong, and oysters growing where they belong, with, you know, tens of miles of separation representing that saline gradient. That,
1: that, that sounds so crazy, oysters on trees, right? But, um, John, you, you did mention Morapaw. If we were to build that restoration and, and have that freshwater influence into Morapaw, that's a project that y'all have advocated for for a while, right? What, what kind of impact would that project
2: have on the... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, -hmm. yeah, you're alluding to the uh, the East Marpod version of Garyville and St. John Parish. That would flow uh, about 2,000 cubic feet per second water from the river into the swamps. Uh, the, uh, The salinity has been reduced, so we can plant trees, but what has not happened is the introduction of nutrients and some sediments to basically sustain those swamps. Uh, even with the MRGO closures of areas that have been built, they're, the, the trees that we're planting now are vulnerable to a drought. And so, if we had a severe drought, we could maybe lose those trees in one year. So, the modified version is extremely important for the long-term sustainability of the swamp. The the MRGO closures they set the
0: stage, but we need that more biodiversity. Than- John, um, you know we will obviously continue to track that project, and would love to have you on to talk a little yeah. bit more about it as it continues to move forward. I do want to give a plug for Hydrocoast. Um, you all provide an amazing resource to you know a variety of people, including fishermen, to understand the salinity uh, changes in the basin and kind of um, other trends. Um, and you provide that data on your website. So tell us really quickly about hydro coast and where people can find it
2: yeah hydrocoast are are maps uh, that we put out every two weeks they're on our website Uh, they're updated every two weeks and they're a snapshot of the basin Uh, the salinity that we've been talking about all morning uh, basically, uh, well, excuse me, uh, indicates how, uh, dynamic the estuary is. Constantly have influence of the gulf or from rivers, uh, from inversions. So the salinity is constantly fluctuating. So what we do is we, every two weeks, uh, map that salinity along with a lot of other information like where is the bread sufficient, where shrimp is sufficient, or uh, quality, actually. But those maps are, are updated every two weeks. Uh, you can be found on our website. And, uh, you know, we we have a tremendous following of both commercial fishermen and recreational fishermen, but also scientists who, uh, look at that to kind of see how the estuaries function function ecologically and hydrologically. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a great, uh, we've been doing this now since 2013 and, uh, we're finding uh, more and more uses for it as we uh, continue to develop them. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much, John, for being on. Um, of course, we'll and you can uh, check out the blog. Yeah, you can check right? out the blog about Coast uh, on our website mississippiriverdelta.org, and we'll have you back, and maybe we'll see you at Lights at the Lake. So, thanks so thank much, you, John, John, and um, we'll be right back with Dr. Alicia Frenfro with National Wildlife Federation.
2: the aspn network coastal news for the pelagic minded And
0: we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast. It's people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat.
0: And it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. (laughs) Um, As a reminder, you can go online at any point at RestoreTheCoast.org and read these coastal voices. They're basically submissions from people around the state um, telling us why the coast is important to them. Um, Submit your own, and who knows? We might just read it one day Very on nice. Delta Dispatches. So today is from Elaine in Boyce, Louisiana. Um, Elaine says, it's our only natural defense against Mother Nature. Saltwater is destroying the brackish waters for fish. Land loss is being lost at a rapid rate. Well, I couldn't agree more, Elaine. And I, you know, love the idea of using nature to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, confront or manage, deal with nature, you know, nature-based solutions.
1: Thank you, Elaine.
0: Thank you, Elaine. Um, so we're back with our frequent first.
1: I feel like she's favorite. I'm scared to say favorite because,
0: you know, we love all of our guests, but Dr. Alicia Renfro. She's my favorite. okay she's Simone's favorite with National Wildlife Federation welcome back thank you
3: thank you for having me
0: so um let's just get the fun stuff out of the way we asked John and we'll keep we'll keep going because I think I'm a little hungry still this morning (laughs) um we're about two weeks out from Thanksgiving which is crazy to think about but it also has me thinking about food so Mm -hmm. what is your favorite Thanksgiving side.
3: Ooh, Thanksgiving. I mean, this is so big. Are you going to say something Yankee? <laughs> I could say something really Yankee, but that's a dessert. Um, I'm going to go with mac and cheese. No, oh, yeah. I love a good mac and cheese. But do you yeah.
0: like the Louisiana mac and cheese, like the baked, baked macaroni? macaroni? Oh, most definitely. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, We got to yeah. go
0: to Rocky and Carla. I mean, <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. What do you Ooh. want for Thanksgiving? I'm like, I want Rocky <sighs> and Carla.
1: See, we didn't introduce macaroni as a side until my kids rolled around, and, we, and now we're baked macaroni oh, people. Yeah. But yeah, like you know so. I have to say I like a fancy
3: cheese though. Like I like mm-hmm. you know, some a little like you know, a Sponsor. Gruyere or
1: something.
0: Mm-hmm. Malals is a straight up <laughs> velvet. <pickle>. I remember <laughs> like going on a hunt for the like the wide, not the wide, but the like thick uh-huh. macaroni noodles. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Because you really need... They have a name, right?
1: Yeah. What's your name? Yeah. 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 I don't Because
0: you need the like the, the thicker noodles yeah. so the cheese can go in there. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Maybe I'll make that for it. our <laughs>
0: office potluck. <laughs> <That's good>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the science. Um, otherwise, we're quickly going to become a food show. Um, so, uh, Alicia, you this year happen to be the program committee chair, is that correct, what? for this uh, is that a upcoming paid? State of the Coast? Is that a paid position, Dr. <laughs> Renfro? <laughs> so what is what is being the program committee chair of a conference like State of the Coast entail?
3: So yeah, um, State of the Coast is, it's a great conference here in Louisiana that's focused about like science and policy um, here in Louisiana. And so uh, being the program chair is a lot of wrangling, trying to help build the program. I have a wonderful committee that I'm working with that include scientists and academics and business people and government people, as well as other nonprofits to try and look at proposed sessions and then abstracts actually to build out this conference and get a nice comprehensive look of what's happening on our coast right now. So it's like
1: themes and storylines and making sure everything balances. Yep. And then making the schedule actually work.
3: It's a lot it's a lot. Um, But so far, so good. Um, The session proposals have come in. We've actually decided and selected sessions. Um, And at this point, just this last week, the um, abstract submission window actually opened. So for individual talks. I was going to
1: ask, can you explain the difference between the two?
3: Sure. So the session proposal, someone actually built out a 90 minute session of of, of four talks or a a group of panelists um, and submitted that as one whole piece. So that'll be a block of time within the conference. Whereas abstract, are individual 20-minute talks that people can put forward um and the program committee will look at that and make selections amongst those abstracts and build out the rest of our conference
0: and do you tend to kind of group some of those abstracts together so that if they're relevant themes you kind of have them all within the same we try very
3: hard to find like the common thread to group Mm -hmm. things that make sense together and so also so that a conference goer um they can find session tracks that they really mm-hmm. like. Like if you want to learn all th- all about marsh creation, there'll be groups of projects that you can go to or talks that you can go to, to
1: sit down and listen to. A long period of time. Anything that stands out immediately already with some of those proposals, session proposals? or
3: um, I think we're going to have a lot of talks about um, the 2023 Master Plan. I'm really excited about. There's going to be a lot of science talks surrounding sediment diversion projects. Um, some discussion of some of the marsh creation projects and Bear Island projects that have happened. So yeah, we have some good things. We have some 15-year Katrina anniversary. Mm-hmm. We also have a few things that we're still looking to fill out. Would love to also have some 15-year hurricane Rita. It's going to be a big year for the conference because it is 10-year anniversary of the oil spill, 15-year anniversary of Katrina and Rita. It's going to be the 30 year anniversary for the Coastal Wetlands Planning Protection and Restoration yes. Act. And there is actually a session dedicated. That's to great. That. Yeah. So so, I'm pretty excited about that.
0: So I know there's a deadline coming up. Yeah. Um, if you know I'm someone considering submitting an abstract, do you have any tips for me? Like what kind of really makes my abstract stand Cup. out among uh, the crowd? Oh,
3: yeah. I mean, the abstract is really your chance to make your case of why this is important. Um There is, if you go to stateofthecoast.org, you can find the guidelines for um, an abstract, but really kind of highlight why this is new and different and why this is something that we should really consider. I think uh, we are really excited and open to all suggestions, and we really want to see things that are a little bit different, some more policy and law related things. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times at these, uh, most of the conferences I go to are very science heavy. (laughs) And so it's nice to have like a Science, but also all the all the other things that are happening in Louisiana I have some. Um, we have a lot of like interesting law things happening, a lot of policy. I think there's going to be some watershed initiative talks as well. So
1: I think it's interesting that your committee sounds like the litmus test for if you're interested, then other people might be interested right,
3: too. Right? Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's all about getting that one committee member who's like, I don't know, I would go to this.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so one more time, tell people where they can go to submit abstracts and also what the deadline. Mine
3: is. Yeah, so you can go to state of the Um and the submission window for abstracts is open now and it'll close January 10th.
0: Okay and so then um, looking ahead into next year I mean clearly you're going to be busy until the conference so once this deadline well, She passes, can't be, i got stuff for her to do <laughs> what, what, what does the program committee do kind of after the abstract drink? Selection. Oh I'm sorry <laughs> well, So
3: once, all the ab- once the abstract window is closed then we'll actually read through all the abstracts and pick and start to build out that schedule. Um, yeah yeah, that's that's going to be our biggest task. That's going to be an all day meeting.
0: Do you so do you guys have like an abstract reading party where you get all you get <laughs> I together? <wish>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I got a divvy of the, abstract, the chair. So. Go ahead. Girlfriend. <laughs> on, do it. There may be some after after beer, yeah, yeah. Yeah. after selection beer.
1: Or that be so good. you have to fill three days. Yeah. Also, there is restoration on a half shell. Thankfully, you yes. probably don't have to fill that so much. Yeah. But three full days of content. Yeah. is
3: Yeah. It's pretty significant. Lot. It's a lot. Um, we got a lot of sessions and we got a lot of really great sessions. So we have a good chunk of our um, schedule built out already, but we still have a lot of room for good
1: abstracts. So mm-hmm. like people put those in. So um, so I have a question like some of this is like new science, right? It could be it could be breaking news, if you will. Right. right. Some is covering what maybe made its rounds, um, but some of it's just brand new stuff that people want to use this conference to debut information. At. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And we really encourage that part. You know, we not everyone gets to go to every conference, so sometimes it's good to hear some good old standby things that have been around for a little while, but we really want to emphasize what's new and different, because as we know, Louisiana's coast is dynamic and changing, and what we do and learn about it is dynamic and changing all the time, so... And yeah. it's not just for Louisiana
1: folks too. No, it's
3: obviously not just for Louisiana. centered around Louisiana work,
1: but yeah. a lot of it has applications yeah. other places.
3: Yeah, I definitely like those, like Mississippi, Tex you know, Mississippi and Texas crossovers. Mm-hmm. If we can encourage that, that would be
0: great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will certainly look forward to seeing the agenda once it's published, and also t- you should consider submitting. Are you submitting?
1: I, I did. We did pretty heavy finance last Mm -hmm. time so much so that I had to like I think I got an exception for being on the (laughs) agenda a couple of times but it was really interesting but honestly people want to talk about also communications Mm -hmm. outreach and Mm -hmm. engagement I think Alicia nailed it on the different topics too I mean the science is one thing but how you implement and engage on it is something else I
0: moderated a panel last time on kind of media coverage of coastal issues and it was Mm -hmm. great to have all these different perspectives and so if you are considering submitting you know i would highly encourage it because it's a great experience and Mm -hmm. you really can get yourself out there so um thank you so much alicia it was great as always talking to you and we'll no doubt have you on soon in the future to talk about state of the coast and other topics um when we're back we will kind of wrap things up so and i'll chit chat and preview some awesome events that are happening around the coast Um, we'll be right back on delta dispatches
2: From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded.
0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Simone, I know this doesn't happen often, but I've got some breaking news to share (gasps) on Delta Dispatches a new press release from Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, Louisiana Wildlife Fisheries Commission, Approves resolution making Queen Bess Island a Louisiana wildlife refuge. Oh,
1: nice, nice. I know, um, I know. Queen Bess has a special place in your little bird heart, and so uh, it's exciting to see the work that's been happening out there.
0: Yeah, you know, and I just want to flag that I was able to talk about oysters and birds today. Uh, So keeping my streak going. (laughs) Um, But no oysters on trees. (laughs) So the the press release basically says that you know the um, island will be able to offer enhanced protection um, and a vital colonial waterbird colony, annually producing more than 4,400 nests. Um, Queen Bess Island is a 37 acre island located near Grand Isle in Jefferson Parish. It is the 4th Largest brown pelican rookery in Louisiana, producing 15 to 20 percent of the state's nesting activity. It is also nesting habitat for about 10 species of nesting colonial water birds, such as tricolored herons, a personal favorite of mine, great egrets, and royal terns. Um, so that's great news.
1: That is neat. Um, uh, uh, John Snell did a piece recently mm-hmm. on Queen Bass where they went out there and they covered some of those facts and stats. It's nice to see them get to work out there.
0: Yeah, well, I really loved talking. To John, I mean, I, we could have had him on. For yeah, the we're going to have to have him back yeah. on
1: because, yeah, we could certainly cover several different topics. And the lake is one of our favorites, and it's important to make sure that people understand how important that the leak
0: is to all of our
1: coast, right? And
0: I would highly encourage you to go on our blog, Mississippi River Delta.org and read his um, you know, Mr. Go blog, but also the Hydro Coast yeah. blog. Um, Mr. Go, he really frames well just how important that closure was. It's kind of like the restoration project that never was. I mean, 1.2 million acres yeah. It influences huge. And then it just reminds me, I mean, obviously we're coming up on the 15th year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, but how devastating Mr. Go was not just uh-huh. to the environment and our wetlands in and around New Orleans and St. Bernard Parish and, you know, even further, but like to actual people and communities and that storm surge just going up through the channel. So it's great to see, you know, with the closure, salinity is returning to normal, you know, the area prime for restoration from like you know, large scale restoration, like the river reintroduction into more possible, right. right. But also a lot of the swamp plantings and volunteer plantings that LPBF and CRCL are hosting.
1: Yes. And just as a reminder, there are some volunteer events coming up. Um, CRCL is doing oyster shell bagging on November 15th from nine to one. And Buris, of course, this is part of CRCL's oyster shell recycling program. um, And we have some stats associated with that. They've collected more than four. 4,500 tons of oyster shells and the program just began in 2014 they've built two reefs using more than two million pounds of shells and 6,554 volunteer hours to help do that and they have new oyster reefs planned in Jefferson Parish and in Plaquemines Parish so when you volunteer uh, you'll help prepare the shell for future restoration they place the um, recycled shell in bags that will be later stacked on barges and transported to oyster reefs restoration sites. So by prepping, by helping to prep the shell, volunteers play that critical role in creating those new oyster reefs. Our friends at Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation also have an upcoming swamp restoration. If you um, have to work maybe on Friday, they have their swamp restoration on November 16th. And they also have some other fun events coming up. They have their annual meeting on Monday, December 2nd. Uh, Congressman Garrett Graves will be their guest speaker at the Lighthouse on the Lake. Little cocktail, little oradori over at the lighthouse um, with congressman graves and that's on monday december 2nd and then one thing that i'm really interested in is lights on the lake celebration and boat parade on december 14th from 2 to 8 p.m join lpbf for a beautiful night on the lake and enjoy the best spot to view the holiday boat parade in addition to the fantastic music lineup delicious food from local food trucks and listen to this tantalizing hottie toddies I,
0: mm-hmm. I went last year I'm like, tantalizing. and i am say uh, you know i don't know about tantalizing but they were certainly nice because <laughs> it was cold but it's such a festive uh, atmosphere and people go all out oh, on yeah. the boats That's it's so, so awesome. cool That's to so see awesome. them all decorated and then you could kind of see them through the new canal and then going out new basin canal and then going out into the lake Yeah, that's it was so super windy so as they got out into the lake you <laughs> would see these like massive santas like swaying back and uh-huh. forth but it was cool so we had a
1: great time in chicago one time and they oh. had a boat parade and like i mean hello i grew up in homo but it was so neat to see something like a, a boat parade but there will be uh, crafts and educational activities for the kids and Santa
0: Claus. The man himself. The man himself. Wow. Yeah. Bring um, him have you all started listening to holiday music in the Malaz household <laughs> as of yet? No, we're purists. Okay.
1: After Thanksgiving. I, I think you've been cheating. Yeah,
0: After- I have not. I will <laughs> say Graham has been listening to Gwen Stefani's oh, holiday okay, album and okay. full force. And I'm like, it's, it's a little early even for Gwen, <laughs> don't you think? Have you heard her holiday yeah, album? Uh-huh. I may
1: be in it. Yeah. Um, my friend um, Clayton, who's a very, very dear friend of mine, did a couple of days ago send me his favorite Christmas song, which is Wham!, Oh, <laughs> last nice. Christmas oh, that's um, cool. so he's clearly yeah. been cheating and listening ahead of time okay well we won't too, spoil so. it because we've got a lot of fun <laughs> questions coming
0: up in December but oh yeah I wanted to ask you guys had your rendezvous this week how'd it go yeah
1: well actually it's tonight our rendezvous is tonight and it's the we only have one annual fundraiser and this is it and we're doing it at a new location at the foundry um which is located on Bayou Lafourche in Thibodeau and we have the Cajun Music Preservation Society um come into play and it's a really Really nice venue with a balcony that kind of overlooks the bayou. So uh, it's our fun time to get together during the year.
0: Awesome. Well, good luck with that. Thank and you. Um, no doubt um, it'll be a great time in Thibodeau.
1: Yes. Do you have any, um, we have any field trips or anything coming up?
0: Yeah, I think we're going to try to head out to Wax Lake mm-hmm. soon. Um, check that out. I mean, of course, um, we'll maybe try to have him on the show at some yeah, point. Yeah, we have um, do, Dr. Roberts Dr. Robert Twilley did yes. a new study that has been covered that I found I find so interesting. I mean, we've talked about it before, but the Tale of Two Basins, right. you know, Atchafalaya is kind of one of the few places on the coast that's actually gaining and maintaining land next door. You know, Terrebonne. Obviously, the Gulf of Mexico has moved ten miles closer to Homo, which is, I mean, terrifying. Right. Just you know, right next door. But right. like, why? Why is it so different? Right. Um, and then it kind of highlights the need for projects like increased the and others to kind of get some sediment and fresh water into the Terrebonne Basin as well. And hey, if something's working in a how can we put that in other places?
1: Yeah, as Dr. Well? Tuli has long been a part of that area and in, in studying the effects and that kind of tale of two basins, for sure. He's recently featured in a couple of articles this week related to oysters and um, how they adapt to different environments. Um, of course, he's uh, directly related to the um, LSU Sea Grant Lab in Grand Isle um, and some of the work that they're doing there. But um, Hallie Parker with the Home of Today and, and there was another news source that kind of covered oysters and um, how maybe off bottom or,
0: or different ways to mm-hmm. raise oysters is is impacting the industry Mm -hmm. that would be an interesting conversation maybe to have those folks on I know we've talked to the folks from Shelly Farms in the past Mm but um, but yeah to kind of understand what they've been doing um, near Grand Isle and uh, you know how that can you know potentially inform what with the state and right. other farmers do moving forward um to provide more flexibility and that sort of thing so well another great show back to the science so yeah. we did let's see we did economics we did education we did science what's next up i don't know we maybe need to bring in the arts a little bit yeah 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 All yes right. yeah we'll part. have fun at the rendezvous Thank you. and thanks to everyone for listening um you can listen to us anytime on delta despis <laughs> dispatches.org You had a hot time. Um, I, I did not have a, <laughs> I might go get one now. But uh, but thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.